Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You're on once again with the Cheezo. It's getting serious, so I've thought that it's about time that JB and I get on a podcast and start talking over some absolute important points. Mate, how are you, champion? I'm good, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm on a podcast with you and not Pistol, because he's, I don't know, he cramps my style a bit, but being with you, it feels a lot freer. <laughs> Well, we've sent him over to the States. He's completely out of our, our world for a little bit here. He's got a little bit of a time difference. It allows us, you know, just to get some one-on-one time going, just building that bond that we, uh, you know, the cricket season's got in the way a little bit there. I'm really apologetic <laughs> for that, mate, but it's great to hear your voice. Yes, and back at you, and I'm sure the community uh, is also in agreement that it's good to have Chizo back on the mic. <laughs> Everyone's just been whinging. You know, Cheezo, are you actually doing anything pre-season? Are you still part of Dr. Supercoach? You know, tell us if you're leaving. We want to know. We need to throw a going-away party, not because you're leaving, but because we're happy that you're leaving. It's a celebration. Um, <laughs> just to celebrate. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great to be back, JB. Great to be behind the mic. And we should uh, get through some housekeeping first so we can get into uh, a bit of an interesting podcast, one a little bit of a concept we haven't really done before. So I'm super excited to see where that goes. Uh, we do have some Patreon shout-outs for those that have jumped on board in the last month or so. Uh, great to have everyone back in the Slack channel and just uh, talking a bit of uh, AFL Supercoach. It went a little bit quiet there when there was NBA, JB, although I think you've, you've got your own channel to yourself, which is great for me because I, I don't understand anything <laughs> to do with basketball. Uh, we've got Chris Moy, Steve Smith, Nolsey, Rosanna, Will Mills, Aaron Titford, Zach Dodgson, Tom Barber, Mark Nyblock, Ben Ayres, Seb Saunders, Nathan Janicki, I've totally butchered that one, JB, uh, Michael Harms, <laughs> Devon, Matty Baines from Twitter, and Josh. So great to have you all on board, and I hope you came for a big 2020 like you and I are, JB. And let us know uh, if your name just got read out incorrectly, because I think... Look, it's a donation this year. We've talked about really? the Cancer Council. Every name I get wrong, I have to put in a donation. I love that. Okay, well, speak up, especially you, Stuart, because I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, mate, it, another exciting thing, we finally, it took us a long time, we had a lot of delays, we, uh, uh, we thought for a period of time we had lost them to the fires as they were en route, uh, but we finally got the Dr. Supercoach polos in the mail and out, and I think uh, SC Insiders, the, uh, uh, Chris is the first one that's received his polo, I'm just still waiting for a, uh, he, he prioritised his wedding over the, the putting a, a photo of the polo um, in Slack, I'm pretty do- disappointed about that, you know, priorities <laughs> mate. It's just I'm rude. very disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, just to let everyone know, we are working on some different merch. Uh, I think the next thing we're working on is caps. We've gone uh, through uh, ISC, so they're the, the Sun's major um, clothing sponsor as well, far, as far as I remember. So uh, really, really good quality stuff, and I'm really proud of what we got. I'm actually wearing mine now, JB. Are you wearing yours? I am not. I'm still waiting for it in the mail, Chizo, but oh! as soon as it gets Imagine me, if you were the only person, like yours is the one that got stuck in the mail I'll or tell you just what, like, disappeared. I'll, I'll be having I'm not words. sending you another one. We didn't budget for this. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> as long as we get a, a bigger turnout on our uh, merchandise than what Gold Coast got at their you know, relaunching the of game. their season this year, then you know it can't be too bad. Mate, um, speaking of budgeting, that's something you have to do when you sign up to a Patreon subscription, a monthly subscription, JB. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, what they have on offer or what some prices are that they might be looking at signing up to? I thought I'd take time in the podcast, which we don't do often because we sort of we like to keep the podcast professional to the point and we, we don't really like to boast up about our, our Slack community and, and the prices. But 
uh, I have I've had some feedback over the off season of people that are joining in, just advising that the prices aren't what they expected. They thought it'd be much more expensive, and that sort of stopped them from joining earlier. Um, so they're actually quite cheap. So three dollars gets you into our Slack community, which uh, if you're ever going to jump in, now is the perfect time. We're now going through everyone's teams. Uh, on a daily basis, you've got access to all the podcasters, obviously, to, to message them privately and ask about the team or message the community as a whole, which I would recommend because I tell you what, half of our community members are better than us at Supercoach. They're amazing. <laughs> I know. How disappointing is that? Oh, it's like... dude, but it's, it's, a high, it's a high bar because we had several members finish in the top 100 last season, which is hard to keep up with. Uh, I can't remember where I ranked. It was near there, but... Um, even I couldn't keep up with those guys, so they're all trailblazers. But um, it is the optimal time to jump in, and it's just three dollars a month US dollars, Chizo, which doesn't translate to much more in, in Australian money either. So, um, highly recommend that tier. We've also got the six dollar prize tier, which gets you access to um, prize leagues, etc., that you'll be competing against the community for. Uh, we've got some awesome, awesome prizes. We've got mugs, uh, stubby coolers potentially going to be looking at caps and other such things that we order in the near future. So definitely enjoy that tier as well. And then we've got the rivalry league, uh, Chizo, and I think you're the expert on that one. Well, the rivalry league is getting a bit of a shake-up this year. Um, When we started last year, I'm going to be super honest here, JB. When we started, we thought we might be lucky if there were 20 gorgeous young individuals that would want to join and listen to us talk more trash on more than a bi-weekly basis. Bi-weekly? Is that two podcasts? I don't know. Anyway, uh, and so we started a rivalry league. We thought, you know, maybe if we can scrape 15 people into that and make it, have it a bit of fun. We, the first 15 people to sign up were in the rivalry league. And so our, you know, our top tier sold out in the first 36 hours. And so we had nowhere to go from there. And in the last 12 months, literally everyone has said, you know, how do we get into rivalry league? We've actually had commented, it's harder to get into rivalry league than getting, you know, MCC to become a member. You know, <laughs> do we have to wait for people to, you know, fall off the face of the earth before we can get in? And, uh, you know, due to the, the pressure, we opened, a, you know, a second rivalry league. And that lasted two hours. Two hours, two JB. Hours. We have two leagues, two leagues filled up. And so, you know, we thought we've still got a lot of people that missed out that are pretty disappointed they're getting in the DMs. So we've come up with a plan of the battle of the rivalry leagues, JB. We have rivalry league Raven, mm-hmm. rivalry league Phoenix, Ooh. and rivalry league Seagull. Seagull. JB. That, that's my favorite. It's just those, you know, the, those type of players that you're not that big flashy guy in the league that's, you know, knocking off you know, big two, 2,500 plus scores. You're that little sneaky one that sees that opening and just, you know, picks up the scraps and scrapes through, gets that grand final berth, and then from nowhere you're the underdog. You know, maybe this is a league for you, JB. That sounds like you and your finals <laughs> in, in Supercoach. It reminds me very much of your side. When I think of Seagull, I think of uh, Scott Pendlebury bouncing the ball off a of Seagull. Remember that? Yeah, that's the, you know we'll have Peter on the line here in a second, mate. No, let's, no, no. let's not go there. was fine. He flew off. <laughs> um, and so the the whole point of the rivalry league this year is uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have a draft. JB, is that correct? Well, I hope so because I'm not letting Pistol pick the teams again like he did last year and you know get all the Collingwood fans on his side and all of them just sitting talking about Collingwood and how well they're doing until of course September came around in which they all went pretty quiet. 
we're never letting him in charge of, uh, of, no. of like automatically generating the teams again. So what we're doing, we're going to be having a, a, a super coach draft where we're not picking defenders, we're not picking midfielders, we're not picking forwards. We're going to be filling our lines with occupants of the rivalry league Phoenix, rivalry league Raven, and rivalry league uh, Seagull. And at the end of the year, whichever podcaster, whether it be me or yourself or Pistol has the most points, will be the overall team winner of Rivalry League. Um, so I, that gives it an... It's almost like a meta super coach. We're playing super coach of people playing super coach, if that makes sense. Even I don't understand is it at this, this stage. super coachception? <laughs> I think it is. I think that's going to be the next word in uh, uh, Macquarie's Dictionary in 2020. Um, so yeah, that's super exciting. Uh, Monday at 12 p.m. Brisbane time. I don't know what that translates to you, JB. You're in a, a, a much smaller state to me. I, don't, I can't let's, even remember what just, the name of it is anymore. Let's just say Monday, approximately Monday. lunchtime. Approximately lunchtime, depending on when we can press the go button. Yes. So just, so just keep your eye out. Yeah, hang around around lunchtime. We're going to crash the Patreon server with people just hitting refresh over and over again, waiting for Rivalry League Seagull to come out. And we've had a, you know, a full refresh of the Patreon page. I reckon it looks pretty slick now, mate. I love it. And I've spotted Dan Houston at least once on one of the banners, <laughs> so that's all I need. It's a tick for me. I, I, I couldn't not put him in. So um, uh, I, I'm really excited for what 2020 is going to bring, and there's a, a lot of exciting things ahead. Now, having said all that, we will jump into the podcast and... The podcast is, uh, I suppose the best way to explain it is a podcast for supercoach players, whom of which are dummies. Mission failed. We'll get them next time. Yeah, we're, we're doing a, a pistol-specific podcast. That's right. Oh, okay. So, um, a supercoach for pistols podcast. <laughs> is that... Yeah, I like it. Okay. I like it. All right, cool. Um, we haven't really done anything like this for years. I think uh, in our first year of podcasting, we sort of attempted to do a beginner's uh, Supercoach podcast. It's been requested quite a bit on the page. Uh, a few DMs have come through, which, by the way, uh, feel free to DM me uh, the, the the page itself. Your teams are uh, going through and reviewing uh, dozens a day, so we really do enjoy the community to and fro that we have there. Uh, but one of the suggestions was to jump on and do a beginner's Supercoach podcast because um, a lot of people are not, not only just beginning, but some people are just beginning to try to understand Supercoach. So if you're like me, in my first year or so of Supercoach, uh, I sort of just tried to get in as many big names or good players as I could. Maybe had a few key position forwards in there, you know, probably Travis Cloak back in the day, which if I had you know, someone to advise me against that, then that would have been nice. But um, <laughs> essentially, we're just trying to help people understand the psychology that goes around picking a team and, and sort of trying to maximize your team to get that advantage over your mates who are, uh, you know, you compete against in your, your cash leagues or your normal leagues or whatever it is, just bragging rights. Um, so that's really what we're going to be focusing on this podcast. So if you already think you're an absolute expert, do you just click off, Chizo? Yeah, how do I hang up this Skype call? I don't think I need <laughs> Well, I need the advice, so I'm going to stick around. Um, <laughs> I don't think you need... The- Not after you're finished last year, mate. Don't you be pulling those off. Honestly, it's that long ago. I, I can't even recall where it went. So um, <laughs> we're going to start the podcast with um, structures. So um, I think without trying to, uh, to throw shade at any of our community members, we get a lot of teams sent through that have, like what I Little had thought put into year, them. Hey? 
little thought put into them is the is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, and they they see the big names. They try to get the players, and they try to stretch out you know the salary cup as much as they can. Have players like Polek as their you know worst midfielder, first on the bench, whatever it is. Those types of things where you look at it as a player who's played for years and has had you know the little success that we've shared. Um, and it's just not the best way to go about it. So I think we need to be we need to start off this podcast by discussing structures and the best way to navigate players that don't quite understand how to start their team is by sending them towards the guns and rookies structure, Chizo. So this one being one of the most popular ones used by players who consistently rank high, um, focusing focuses on having players that are uber premiums or players that are uber cheap. So would you like to expand a little bit there, Chizo? Yeah, so it's basically the concept of stuffing your side with as many high-priced, high-value, high-scoring players as you can across the lines and filling in the holes left over with the rookie players that are going to be playing early. Now, this has a lot of positives. And this is, uh, JB, I guess you would call, um, you know, it's very frequently considered a inverted commas safe selection. Yep. And we'll get to why it's called safe a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but this is where we tend to send um, a lot of the newer super coach players towards um, because without that in-depth knowledge to know who is a breakout, who is a good mid-pricer, who's just had a role change, until you have that knowledge Picking any other type of structure just isn't going to end very well because um, you don't have that, that that background knowledge to you know so, to say in twelve months' time this is someone I need to get on. You haven't watched enough football or played enough Supercoach to know that. So, uh, guns and rooks is what I always um, you know tend to send newer players towards because you've got that safety of cash generation by having all these cheap rookies which are hopefully playing. That's obviously one of the key points. Uh, but you've also got all those big gun players that you know something happens, um, you're able to trade them out if they get injured. They've got a lot of cash behind them. You can pick anyone you want. It's it's very flexible in terms of um, yeah, your trading and your cash generation. And, and to be honest, a, a lot of mid-price strategies don't end up outscoring guns and rooks um, uh, team structures as, as well, JB. So I, I really, really like this one for first-time Supercoach players. Okay. And let's uh, let's get into sort of the, the definition of, for starters, guns in the guns and rookies strategy. A lot of people might interpret that as having players say 500k plus that's a pretty large pool so um, those players are then looking at any player that is of that price just popping them in maybe a player that they like or you know what sort of what what sort of key factors do we use in defining which guns we look extra hard at or which guns we we completely miss over well, it's also determined about what line you're talking about. So just saying, you know, having a monetary value is helpful, um, but saying a $500,000 player is a gun, you might look at the midfield line and see the top 20 or top 25 averages from last year are all priced above that. So are they technically um, all uber premiums in that respect or all guns? Not necessarily. They're all good players, but they're not uh, always someone you want to be jumping on. Whereas if you look at the other line, say your defense line uh, or your forward line, um, players around that kind of price are going to be considered more premium. So the way that I like to think about my guns um, is I tend to say the top 10 or uh, you know top 6 in each line um, are really like the guns 
inverted commas that if we we're going to define that, I find that easier for newer players to understand. If I said, um, you know, your guns that you want to fill um, two or three point, uh, selections in your t- your side would be found in the top ten um, or the top six selections on uh, the pricing list in in twenty twenty twenty, and that tends to hold true. There's obviously um, exceptions to every rule, but that's a really helpful way to get started. Exactly, and you explain it really well there in looking at um, trying to narrow down top uh, numbers per line as to where you want that player that you're selecting to finish by the end of the season. Um, I think it's I think it's it's most helpful to sort of look at that player, that gun. If you're looking at the guns and rookies, or even we'll discuss. Uh, different strategies that involve mid-prices as well in a moment. But when you're picking guns for your side, it's important to look at them as someone that you want to have and be happy with by round 23. You don't want to be picking players in this gun section that you will waste trades on or will underperform or will be you know the 20th best midfielder because then you're missing out on 19 other midfielders that you know, are scoring better than that that one gun. So it's important to select guns that you can see there in round 23 that you can justify to be in the top 6, 8, 10 of their position, depending on who they are or what position, like you said, and to really define that for yourself and then move on to rookies. So um, now with rookies, they're mostly, I mean, that's they're obviously defined by their price tag in it being, for example, they're the highest priced draftee from last year was uh, Rao and he's approximately $210,000 in Supercoach so from there down you're looking at all the pretty much the rookie pool from the last couple of years who haven't played much footy or any footy at all so um, those are the players that they pretty much pick themselves by having their job security and scoring potential etc known via the preseason so it's hard to focus on that month out but as the preseason progresses we'll be able to pick those players confidently with the rookies, I think it's best to sort of advise, um, and I think you'll agree with me here, Chizo, that having two, three, even in some cases, four rookies on field in any one position can be justifiable. And I think you'd want a minimum of two per spot, uh, per position on your field. So I haven't seen many cases in which I can justify having more or less sort of thing. Yeah, well, they're obviously where all your cash gen, or the majority of your cash generation comes from. So you are going to have a large portion of your team being lower price. I think the important thing to note here is in previous years, um, you know, thinking back to the early of last decade where we had Gold Coast and GWS come in, we're so used to having these 120,000K rookies that we can just slot in anywhere we like and we're totally set. What we're finding now as all the, you know, the 18-team structure is starting to settle is that we might not have 10 or 15 guaranteed round one starting rookies that are at basement price. And so you may be forced to spend more money on a rookie that has job security, um, say like a Matt Rao, over someone that uh, is you know lower priced and you'd rather have in your team but doesn't have the same security uh, in playing week to week and particularly the start of the year. So if you find yourself um, picking a lot of expensive rookies or uh, sorry a lot of um, lower priced rookies, just keep in mind that they're not necessarily going to play even if they've got big raps in the media, which is you know this time of year everyone's the next Dustin Martin. Exactly. Um, 
And as you're sort of alluding to, uh, we might not have enough rookies that we really can justify having on our field at once. Um, we might not have enough premiums in a specific line or uh, guns that we can justify having on our field. So um, a mixture of the two, of not being able to justify having enough of one specific player on the field, then sort of sends us towards a less conventional um, or so, and sometimes more effective guns rookies with the occasional mid-pricer. Now, uh, mid-pricer is that sort of that in-between player who plays the role of both gun and rookie, of that they're not the highest price point, but they're also not going to be in the top six of their position. Now, the thing that justifies the selection of these players, such as, for example, this season, a lot of people are looking at Jack Stephen and Devin Smith for their forward lines, um, is that we don't quite see enough rookies on those lines. We don't quite see enough uber premiums that we trust on those lines. And we look at these players who have done it in the past, um, especially being forward eligible. Jack Stephen, for example, has averaged 90 plus numerous countless times in his career. If he can do so again, he'll make enough money while scoring enough points to be able to justify on your field until the buy rounds, for example, in which then would look to upgrade him. So um, I think the optimal thing to look at is that we don't have a whole team of mid-prices because they do fill that void between the two. But also we don't ignore mid-prices either because obviously there's there's been countless amounts of examples in the past where a mid-pricer has come through either averaged premium numbers, in, in which case we've kept them, or they've done enough until round you know, 8, 9, 10, like Liberatore last year, who made enough money and scored enough points until he didn't, in which we can trade him out and they've been a very you know, valuable piece of our team. Yeah, so I think the important thing to do with, uh, to talk about with mid-prices is mid-prices is a blanket term that talks about anyone uh, with an intermediate price that's not high, not low, and that can you've got to remember that that price, that you know mid-price, it's obviously it's called that for a reason. Um, is you can either have a breakout contender that may be a young player that hasn't quite become an absolute gun in the AFL, but we're predicting that they might do that. Brayshaw, for example. Have, Brayshaw, you can also have fallen premiums. Obviously, they are gun players that have fallen back to the pack for a specific reason. We're looking at Jack Stephen and Devin Smith. They're mid-prices in our forward lines this year because for their own reasons, they had a bad year previous. So when we're talking about mid-prices... If you're looking for, you know, points per dollar value, a lot of times, like, intuitively, you should be looking at mid-prices because they're going to score like a premium, but they're going to be half the price of a premium. So you kind of get sucked into thinking that you, these are really good value. Value is the key word that people kind of associate with mid-prices. But on top of that, in it comes inherent risk with a mid-pricer that, you know, a gun player is priced high based on what he has done the year previous. And so you have exposed form that he is a very good scoring player. With a breakout mid-pricer, they've never done that. You know, you're using your expertise to guess that something is going to happen. You're predicting that they're going, this is the year where they break out. You've all, we've all heard of the, the third-year breakout theory, which is basically proven to be nonsense by this point. Um, and so you're predicting something's going to happen, which means you could be wrong. This player could just do absolutely nothing this year and be no better than the year before, and not only have they made you no money, they probably haven't scored you any points, and you're in a mid a mid-price bracket. You can't do anything with that player. Most of the time, you end up trading down to a rookie, um, so that's a losing situation. 
Or if you've got a mid-priced former premium, or a fallen premium, I should say, they've they've dropped in price because of a reason. They were a good player in the past. For whatever reason, they have come back to the pack. And once again, you're predicting that they've gotten past that scenario and they're going to go back to what they were when they were ranked higher in, uh, and scoring higher points. So the inherent risk is that you're pr- trying to make a prediction into the future that this player will just completely bust through that price ceiling that they're currently at. Now, it feels absolutely great when you pick that, but if you fill your side with mid-price players, JB, one of them is guaranteed to ruin your year. And so filling your team with mid-prices is just, you know, destination cooked. (laughs) Destination cooked, yeah. I mean, there's just too many examples of players and teams that we... And we get sent these quite often. So it's it's why it's important to discuss where a team sort of has a few of the best players, a few of the good rookies, but they're mostly focused at spreading their salary cap out so they cover and try to score, you know, the most points in round one out of every team. And that's by having the the, the just sort of the cheaper type players that aren't quite going to make it. So, you know, you've got you've got players like Dyson Heppel, 500K, um, players that, are, you know, even, even cheaper around the 400K mark, like, uh, you know, Liberatore even, these types of players that you'll see in teams just because they 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 enable the person to select mid prices elsewhere on their team and it's just not the correct way to start your team you want to you want your players to be and look this is coming from someone who's played the game for years i've ranked highly quite a, a few years in a row i haven't really had a really really poor season yet we'll fingers crossed that 2020 is not that year <laughs> but i can't well i have to kind of say the credentials before i say what i'm about to say but that's that's I still have to open my team before like in the preseason before the round one bounce and look at each and one of my players and just say, What is your role for me? Why are you in my yeah, team? That's right. James Sicily, for example, currently is it's probably a bad example, but currently in my team because I consider him to be a player that I'll have in round twenty three and will be scoring within the top six of the defenders. And then, you know, for example, I've got Jack Steven in my team currently who in an injury cloud, but let's see how preseason goes, who I look at as being able to score 85 to 95 and isn't quite expensive enough to you know break the bank, but is also not quite cheap enough to make lots of money. But he'll be that mid-pricer for me that sort of bridges the gap. And then I've got several rookies on the field. Uh, I've got three rookies in the field and in, in the midfield at the moment, two rookies on the field and Dude on the field in defense. You know, it's okay to have rookies on the field because their purpose is to make you cash and have your round 23 team millions of dollars more expensive than your round one team. And the problem with these teams that start off hot, that start off all these players that are going to score them 80 to 100 every single week, is they're going to get to round 23 and wonder why or how you afford a whole team of 600k plus players because you're you're investing early and having these rookies in that are going to make you lots of money and also score just fine. We have rookies that score really well. Sydney Stack last year, having him on field most weeks, he scored as well as a premium would. So you're not exactly sacrificing all your point gain, but you're really focusing on monetary gain as it is anyway. So that is the tactic to make your team on. You have to define their roles. Yeah, and so that that's something I'd like you to... Um, kind of really detail here for me because I know what you do 
is when you pick for your every th- every player in your thirty that you start the year with, you have a little sentence that you've written for yourself that says, "I am picking this player for X, and I plan them to trade them out in round Y." So why don't you? Um, just talk us through a little bit. I know not everyone's going to be as big a nerd uh, as what you are, JB, but just kind of talk through your process and how you go justifying your players to yourself at the beginning of the year. Yeah, so essentially I want my my guns and rookies strategy, which is which is a hybrid between that and the mid-prices strategy that we said earlier. Um, my, I want my guns to be guaranteed, in my opinion, top six of their line. So yeah. I need to be confident enough with these players that I'm starting them in my side, knowing that they're going to be top six. Now, if you're not confident with any, like with James Sisley, for example, if you're not confident with Jake Lloyd, then you know I'm, I assume you've done your research, you've looked into why they might not score as well this year, and you're not starting them, which is fine. Just do your research. So if you're more confident in Zach Williams being in that top six defending line, which I think is a very safe pick to be top six at least, then you have to splurge out a little bit more, buy him, that's fine. You might have to sacrifice you know, getting a mid-pricer somewhere else in your team, but as long as you secure those absolute top-in-their-line players, then you're going to have a good finishing team regardless because you're going to have all these players now that you've built your team on. Your foundation of your team is solid. And then with the mid-pricers, for me, I just justify them earning and making enough to be right in between what a premium and a rookie does. They don't need to earn 150k like a rookie. They they're unlikely to do, you know, probably 100k sometimes. They don't need to score 110 every week like a premium. But if they can do somewhere in the middle of that, then you can justify the price tag of 350k because that's what they're doing. But again, as we said earlier, I'm not starting more than two or three of these in my team because of the inherent risk of where do I trade them to afterwards? If they're not good, if Jack Stevens injured in round one or scores 60 for the first three weeks playing a forward pocket, where do I trade Jack Stevens to? And, you know, it's it, that that's that's the risk with it. And then the rookies, so, obviously, that's that's self-explanatory. We, we have them in there for the job security and the scoring potential combination, whichever one, you know, someone might have much higher job security than scoring potential. That's okay. You know, you've, you've justified their, their spot in there. There might be a bit of a slow burn. And others might have much higher scoring potential than job security, in which you hope they're in there for a month, and you know that justifies their position. Yeah, I guess I, I was kind of leading you down a garden path in that. Um, specifically, let's take mid prices. You're not expecting them to be there at the end of the season, are you? Not at all. Not even maybe not no, even so by the buyers. Primarily, you're picking them to firstly make cash and secondly be a good scorer. So if they become a season long keeper, that's a that's a cherry on the cake. You don't have to trade them out. Yeah. Whereas um, what you're really picking a mid-pricer for is someone that's A, going to make you money and then is also going to score well. So you don't necessarily need 110s from them every week, but ideally they should be scoring to a point where they're going to be generating generating cash because how often do you have a mid-pricer that becomes a top six in their line? Basically unheard of. Like, And to be able to pick three in the same season is just virtually impossible. So it's important to remember that mid-prices are there for the same reason that rookies are. It's just that it sometimes helps you generate more points over the short term that you do have them and help you upgrade a bit quicker. So um, I think that's an important distinction to make. So when you're writing that roll down, you're writing that sentence to yourself or that, that mental thought about why you have Devin Smith or why you have Jack Stephen, it's because you have them there to be traded out. 
remember that they have to be traded at another point in time. Um, and so that little sentence that you say to yourself, you need to acknowledge that players like this more than likely are not going to be in your final side. That's right, JB? Yeah, exactly. No, spot on. Yeah. Um, and, and the last thing to do with the structures, I think, mate, um, is that a lot of people are afraid to spend the money on a Grundy and Gorn because they cost so much. Well, guess what? They cost so much for a reason, JB. Yeah, and uh, to get back into the, the whole ruck debacle and, you know, we're talking just after Max Gorner's injured his knee, um, probably still okay to go round one, but it's caused a lot of speculation around the community as to whether we start him or not. Um, with we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll talk mostly about Grundy. I think we see him in most teams anyway, but somehow he's not owned by 100% of teams and it's it's a problem because, like you said, he's priced accordingly and... It's not just his first year doing this either. And the difference between his average, say he digresses this year and averages 120, which is a strong digression considering he's in his prime for a Ruckman. He's still 20 to 30 points better than your next guy. There's just absolutely no justifiable way that you start without Grundy. And then you have the, the value of the captaincy and the all the other things that he brings... It's it's just it's unfathomable that a hundred percent of teams don't have Grundy in their side, and then going with the injury, that we'll see how the preseason goes. But if he's right for round one, it's it's the same argument. If he digresses, say to one hundred and fifteen, which is an even stronger digression for Gorn, um, if he considered the injury, say yeah, you know, for example, if he comes out with a couple of average scores and digresses that much, there's the argument that you can get him cheaper, sure. Um, but if you can't get him cheaper in those first few weeks, even if he does come out poorly, then he's going to fly back up pretty quickly because he's a very good player, very good Ruckman. And your next best Ruckman is still, if he goes down to 115, is still 15 to 20 points worse than Gorn. It's just, yeah. I mean, they're, they're two players that you should, every team should absolutely just start with and build from there. Yeah, so don't be afraid to spend big. Uh, only 66% have Brody Grundy at this stage and only 35% have Max Gorn. So there's a strong um, majority in the community out there that are scared to spend what players are worth. So you've got a player averaging 130 and another player averaging 128. And the next best is an aging Ruckman who averaged 112. That is a chasm. That is a light year difference between one and two and three in terms of super coach scoring potential do not be afraid to spend big because they are so they are just so far ahead of everyone else that you're going to struggle to find the money to get them in later and when we're talking about that little note in your head that little player's role you're not that money that like let's say max gorn goes down and averages 120 for the year you know it's a bit of a drop off but you know disappointing things happen someone's going to pick them up cheaper you don't have to worry about getting him in your side and that cash that you lost doesn't matter unless there's an injury and you're forced to trade them out because that, that money you could have saved is never realized. So in theory, it'd be great to get everyone at 500k, all these premiums. It'd be great to be able to pick up Paddy Cripps at 450k. If, you, if you're one of those people that pick him up around the buyers at that price, then good on you. But I'm going to be keeping someone like that. He's in my side with that little note for 23 rounds. He's there until the end of the year. If he, if his price fluctuates during the year, it doesn't matter. I've already got him. You know, so don't be afraid 
to spend big to get those guns because that's why they're a gun. That's why they're that expensive. With the Ruckman as well, I think it's easy to say, oh, Gorn might drop price and you know might come out poorly to start the season, etc. and I'll pick him up later. Who are you trading to Gorn? Because if you're one of those that are starting Source Jacobs, for example, um, he's not... He, will be lucky to get within two, three hundred K of them. That's still two trades that you, one trade that you need to make the week prior, anticipating the two trades you're going to need to make that week to get Jacobs the Gorn. It's a difficult task. And if you fail, if you're 5K off, for example, and Gorn turns around and scores 120 the next week, all of a sudden you're even further behind. So for me, yeah, it's I can't quite justify the whole avoiding the, the big two rucks myself. 66%. Is probably one of the highest percentages any players started at to start the season, and it's still too low. Having said all that, we will move to the next part, which is bias, uh, with a few things that we'll discuss here. Uh, this will just be a brief uh, little little um, you know dot point section of what we look at with biases and people that are starting their teams, sending their teams to us, um, and that we can just quite clearly distinguish as this person is picking this player because i think that's the 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 biggest word is because so um if you can justify a player to yourself whilst looking at all the evidence and and analyzing all that needs to be analyzed excellent you you feel free to start that player regardless of what people say about them but chizo um we've spoken about this on a podcast before but there are such things as for example confirmation bias which then involves someone looking at a specific set of data that suits their narrative whilst ignoring other aspects. Now, um, like I said at the start, if you're looking at all the aspects and you can justify a player, go for it. I trust your instincts. I trust your your research. But Chizo, do you want to talk to us about such biases like confirmation where people just lead themselves astray and then when, when it blows up in their face early, they, they're left wondering why, but it, it, can, it can be stopped before it gets to that point. Bias is one of those things that you, it, it's kind of like the silent killer to your supercoach se- season because a lot of times if you don't recognize that bias, you don't take that step back and have that overall look, you can um, not kind of realize just how far you've been sucked into certain players. Uh, confirmation bias is kind of when you have that already predetermined belief or predetermined theory inside of your head um, and that... Uh, from you know, from that point, you will pick certain players um, without accepting all data. So one of the things this year, people don't want to start Lockie Whitfield. They say he's overpriced. Um, he's this. He's that. He might only average a hundred, and so they go looking for answers. And so they'll look at two of the six games or whatever that he played with Zach Williams, and you know decide that he averages a handful of points less than when he's playing with Zach Williams. You know, he plays with Zach Williams and then he loses his... Loses his uh, he has a lower scoring output. Now, the reason that this is important is because inherently Lockie Whitfield is a pretty good pick. He's, he's an exceptional player. He's got that pedigree. He's super important to the Giants' midfield. Yes, they've got some players coming back, but when you're looking at that forward line in Supercoach in 2020, JB... How, do you see nine other players averaging higher than him this year? It goes back to that scenario. Do we expect him to be a top premium that we can depend on? I would say yes. I would say that 
um, you know, in the totality of the situation, he's going to be a reasonably safe pick. I want him in my side for 23 rounds. Can I pick him up for 50 or 60K cheaper in, say, three rounds? Yes. But when, where have I got that money from to suddenly go and trade someone to get to Lockie Whitfield? I'm not going to be making upgrades until, say, round seven. So are you happy going for seven or eight rounds without Lockie Whitfield, who is 10 points higher in the forward line than the next best player on average based on last year's score? He's, a, he's, he's 10 point, what's that? 10.5 points higher than Michael Walters in second place. And so, yes, he may not average 111.3 in 2020 when other players return. But is he still inherently a good pick? I would say yes. And so confirmation biases, you know, I see it on Twitter all the time. Lockie Whitfield's a bad pick. This guy's a bad pick. See this one game where he played forward with a calf niggle. You know, what if that happens this year? They go looking for answers. I think that's important to, you know, step back. And do I think that he might drop some points? Sure. But does that mean that I definitively cannot start him because they've got, you know, Zach Williams and Callum Ward back? I, I think that's when we, we get into that buyer situation where we're looking to not we're looking for a reason not to start Whitfield, and I think that's the important thing. And it, and it goes um, the other way as well. Um, you, since Jack Stevens' injury, I've seen a lot of people with Hugh Greenwood in their team, so I've asked them, what is it about Hugh Greenwood that you see today that you know you didn't see a week ago prior to Zach Williams' injury? And then they, they spit out a few stats. You know, He did this in the SNFL. Um, if he increases his time on ground and his uncontested disposals, you know, this is what he could potentially average, which you know, I can understand if he does increase those things, sure, he, he could actually increase his average. And not to say that he's a bad pick per se, but they're really focusing on these few games that he played in the SNFL, these few games that can they can give me a few good games in the midfield that he played for the Crows and be like, yep, this is why I'm selecting him. But what about all the other stuff? He wasn't even in Crows' best 22 at stages last season. He plays a lot of forward line because he's actually good at it. Uh, his time and ground isn't great, maybe because he doesn't have a great tank, not maybe because he you know, was shunned during the games by the Crows. Either could be the, the case, but we don't exactly know that. We can't draw that up to an exact stat where it's like, yeah, no, this is actually what he does, but Crows were just misusing him, etc. But you know, I've seen a lot of people with him in their teams. That's how they justify it to me. And I, just, I, I see that as a big part of confirmation bias because they've just sought out stats that suit exactly why they have Hugh Greenwood in their team, and that's it. So it's a reason to choose players, and it's a reason to not choose players as well. Confirmation bias it works both ways. Um, not to say but, Whitfield's yeah. the best pick ever, not to say that Greenwood's the worst pick ever, but just look at all the evidence and then make your choice. Don't just yeah, look but, for the things that suit you. Yeah, you you want to be cognizant of the bias. There is it is impossible for us to choose a team without bias. Let's say that straight up because this is my team. These is the player they are the these are the players I want to pick. I'm not a robot, right? I'm not like pistol that, that you know has a feelings on a dial from 0 to 10, you know? <laughs> so, uh, be be aware of these biases. They exist when they pop up, try and recognize them. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't pick or do pick, etc. Yep. You know, the never again list is a form of bias. You know, even though you don't want to start Toby Green this year, if we suddenly found out that he was going to be, you know, his full-time mid for the rest of 2020, but I've got this never-again list, you've got to recognize that bias and say, you know, I'm willing to break 
my bias and pick someone I don't want to based on the evidence. So that's yeah. a, that's a good one. Recency bias is another one, JB, where um, you know past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. That's um, something we've all heard before. Um, but there is some merit to you know past performance. Uh, you would expect these guns to to you know to play uh, keep going forward. But um, over the course of the year, you're looking for a data set over a long period of time. The more data points you have, the more games where they played the right role and scored well, uh, the better. I see a lot of people saying, I hate to keep bringing up Jack Stephen, but um, you know, a lot of the feedback that I've been having about Jack Stephen is he, only play, he played forward when he came back last year. Well, yeah, he's playing an elite sport in Australia. He hasn't played since something like round six or seven. He's had four months off in the middle of the year. You expect him to go head-to-head with Dusty that's just played 20 rounds straight? It's just not going to happen. He needs to build his tank. And and so, you know, that recency bias in saying that, you know, Jack Stevens a bad pick because, he you know, he's, he's going to be playing more forward at the Cats. How is that relevant in any way? Like, it, 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 you know... As long as you can acknowledge the reasons why he might play forward or why he might play in the midfield, you need to be like every um, bit of evidence you can find to come up with that that role, that little that little sentence you have in your head as to why you're picking that player, um, and not just say, "Well, the last three games of last year he played forward, therefore he's not going to be a good midfield selection, a good forward selection this year because he's going to play in the forward pocket." I think that's a bit of recency bias popping into that. And there's there's players like Ed Kerno, JB, that hopefully you can elaborate on that people are picking this year because he had two or, good, two or three good games at the end of the last year. Yeah, and as you've said, uh, the, the past performance is not a reasonable indicator of future performance. And you know, with Ed Kerno, he was playing that pure midfield whilst Carlton were trying to win games. The coach was trying to keep his position. Um, they were trying to get a higher draft pick. Obviously, they traded out their first round pick from this past year. Uh, Bolton was playing the kids in there, hence why his start of the season wasn't as good. That's not to say that this coach now doesn't look at it and think, well, I do actually need to do what Bolton was doing at the start of last year, hopefully with more success this time so I don't get fired. But um, the kids do need to be put through that midfield. Ed Kerno, someone like that, does need to you know, have more of a halfback or wing role. Again, not to say that he's not going to score well in Supercoach. Um, he might score well, but is it good enough to be a top 8 to 10 midfielder? I highly doubt it, not for the whole season. So um, I like Kerno as a player. As a pick, though, I know he finished last season great, but for me, it's just you're looking too much into the whole second half of last season and how well he scored and not, not, not enough at the reasons as to why he might have scored that way. So... Um. Yeah, that's that. that yeah, that's pretty much the thoughts on Ed Kerno. I don't want to bash him too much, Caesar. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree with some of that sentiments. And but again, just to touch on him specifically, at that price, you need him to average 110 for the year for him to be a, a successful pick. Um, and so you're backing that Teague is going to be playing him full time mid. I just don't think that's going to be happening in a, a developing side with uh, with a team like Walsh, etc. Um, I think the next next one that kind of ties into all this is to try and take away take away emotion from the selections. Uh, we kind of get tied up in players that we love, players that we hate. Uh, I'm guilty of this way way back when I'd always pick Gary Ablett and not Dane Swan because I, I liked Gary Ablett and wanted him to be the you know the the Brownlow Mellist every year. You didn't like is, Dane Swan? I I, I just I, I I loved. Stop Gary the podcast. I was, I was just, I, I was just, a, just a big fan of him. No, I, and can't, so I can't do this. When Swanee became a forward, I picked him. 
But in the midfield, like <sighs> I was always, I was always an Abla over Swan, and that's a bias of mine. And I was letting emotion take over that, uh, take over that pick. The same thing happens with me with uh, Rockliffe and Green now. You know, like I really don't want to pick him because of all the times that they've burnt me. So um, try and take emotion out of these decisions that you're making to try and make the best overall decision possible, uh, and don't let those emotions, uh, you know, get in the way of it. Um, and the last, uh, you know, kind of point that that ties in together, JB, is you've got to be willing to take on constructive criticism. You know, we get all these, uh, you know, I see all these Twitter beefs, JB, where they're just like, oh, I'm questioning this one particular player that you have, and it turns into this massive rabbit hole thread that we're tagged in that has 150 comments on it, and. <laughs> You know, it's just like you've got to be open for other people's opinions if you're asking for advice on a public forum. Is that fair to say? Or on any, yeah, in anything. Uh, you, you might just have a mate who plays Supercoach and you, know, you might even know that he's not better than you, but you, you show him your team and he goes, oh, why, why are you taking this guy? And his arguments might be quite clear, but you, you don't listen or, you, you know, you just dismiss him because he's not a, as good a player. It's just good to take in every bit of criticism that you can that's why we show people our teams because we do want that. We do kind of want that, you know, tap on the. We want the confirmation bias of everyone saying every play that we've picked is amazing, really. Um, yeah. That's why we send our teams out. And when you don't get that, it can, yeah, people can be combative, but it is important that, you know, you might have overlooked something yourself. So um, good to just take everything in. Yeah, it helps you, you know, have both sides of the coin and, and you know, counteract that bias. So if someone says someone's a bad player and you're like, oh, why did. You know, you might be hell-bent on picking Devin Smith this year and you just think he's the most amazing pick ever. But you've got that mate that's like, oh, what about these reasons? You know, he's not a high-possession getter. He's relying on tackles and he's more, you know, helpful to Essendon as a, you know, more of a forward than an inside mid. And you kind of go, you know, that's that's all fair points. You know, I, I need to kind of think about that at the same time. So as uh, you're trying to justify your choices, but you also need to take in um, as much of that data and that criticism you can in a positive way. Uh, and JB, one that we see very, very frequently and one that you have specifically caused in the 2020 preseason, and that's the bandwagon effect, groupthink, where everyone is jumping on Dan Houston because you spouted off in a podcast last year that he's the next Brownlow medalist. Wow, don't, don't blame me. I mean, <laughs> all I said was he's going to be the number one scoring defender of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Um, yeah, th- this is this is quite large, especially when you go on Twitter and you know certain people solo- follow certain people or only ask advice from certain people, and then you see it spread like wildfire. Or you know, flavor of the day last week, every day was Q Greenwood, and you know he's in every team, and those sorts of things where it's just you, you, you want to detach yourself from that and not ignore the selections people are making. Just do your own research. Find out why he's become so popular. If he's not for you, if you do feel like people are just following along just for the sake of it because they don't have a mind of their own and they're a little sheep in the back of a paddock, then you know make that decision yourself and to choose whether to or to not go with them and go from there. So again, like I've built my team without looking at anyone else's, and then yeah. I go and look at other people's and I think, hmm, why have they got that player in there? So I research them or. Why is no one selecting this player, but they're in my team? So I double-check, make sure everything I've looked at is fine, justify it to myself, and then go from there. You know, there's players that we all overlook, and there's players that we all, you know, pop in there and, and maybe omit some data and or, you know, don't don't find a specific thing. 
And then when it gets pointed out, you know, that's when we we do our research and, you know, make our decisions for ourselves is generally what we're trying to get at here. Yeah, really, really happy. Next thing we'll be discussing is trades. So uh, this is, this might be a bit of a longer winded one than our last discussion, but trades are very important. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say the most important factor in success in Supercoach is your trading. So... Um, not to put any pressure on you guys, but those 30 trades that you get at the start of the year will make or break your rank, your season, your leagues, everything. So it's very important. It's imperative to make sure that you're making the right trades for the right reasons and you're not just doing what some people do and jump on hot spurts or jump off a rookie for this reason or on a rookie for this reason or you know trade a player on a one-week injury and we're about to discuss all that. So um, we'll, we'll first start with the, the whole buy low, sell high, which kind of covers your, your guns and rookies strategy and whom you're looking at trading in and out in that instance. So um, for starters, with rookies, we have them in there, as we said earlier, for a certain amount of time. That could be six to eight weeks. That could be three. That could be four. That could be 15 for whatever reason. If a rookie is making you money, you want them in your team. If they stop making you money, that's when you need to start looking at downgrade options, upgrade options, and we start imploring the buy buy low, sell high. So the sell high obviously applies to the rookie. Um, we want them to make as much money as possible. We want to check their break even, make sure it's obtainable to that rookie. We want to look at um, the last two scores that they've had because the way the, the game works is their most recent score is what's going to affect their price for two weeks. Their score before that is what's going to affect their price for this week. The scores before that are irrelevant. That's what's made their price thus far. So from now on, we want to look at whether they've got a 100 in their score from the week just gone, so they've got two more weeks of goodness, or the week prior, so they've got potentially just one more week of goodness. So all of the, all of this is a factor in where you want to sell your rookies. You want to sell at their highest point or near enough their highest point. You know, you can sacrifice a few K here or there. And then obviously the players that we're trading them to are other rookies at their basement price. That's where you're cashing in and making your money. Or if you've got money in the bank already, you're trading them to premiums who are going to be top six, still keeping that guns and rookies theory. Premiums who are for whatever reason, maybe they had an injury or a bad week, just you know, once maybe they were tagged by DeBoer, whatever, who are on the low end of their normal scale. So that's an overview. Cheese off, you just want to dissect that a little bit and add add whatever pieces you'd like to. I think that's pretty much the, the gist of the buy low, sell high. Yeah, I think that the important thing with trades and something that I don't see enough is that you need to plan weeks in advance. Yep. And you do that by observing the break-evens and their score. So it's not it's not good enough just to look at a player and say, they've got a break-even of 30 this week, I'm, you know, I'm going to pick them up next week. They might have a low break-even because they've had one score of 150 and 230s in there. So as soon as that 150 rolls out next week, that break-even goes from 30 to 180, and you've traded in someone that's just about to go down in price. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an extreme scenario and very, you know, it does happen, um, but that's not going to be the, the case for everything. You need to be planning in advance, and you need to be aware of what scores are within that three-game sample size that affect their current price. 
Um, so you're not necessarily, you know, price is like the, the overall factor that is affected by their scores and it's, it's really easy to get sucked into, you know, Heaney's 5'10 this week and he's got a break even of X, Y, Z. You need to be planning planning ahead and you need to have multiple plans in place. So it's not good enough just to say, next week, these are the two trades I'm going to make. It's like chess. You need to be three steps ahead. You know, if I make these two trades next week, what does that mean the week after? Do I suddenly have a donut because, you know, this guy's going to have a buy, for example? So um, you need to have multiple weeks in advance. And I, I tend to try and always be three weeks in advance. That's an Opal gen, uh, overgeneralization. But I'm looking multiple weeks in advance to see which rookie's going to top out when and which are going to be the most important to be trading out. Who were the new rookies on the bubble after two weeks about to play their game so that I can capitalize and jump on top? Uh, and who are the premiums that are bottom, bottoming out in the upgrade season? And what round do I want to be jumping on then on? And so if I highlight that, um, you know, let's say Heaney's, at, you know, starts this year and he's had that breakout that everyone thought he was going to have and suddenly he's playing midfield averaging 110. You know, you need to plan ahead of time how you're going to get him. Because guess what? You're not going to suddenly just trade cockatoo to Heaney in the forward line. It's just not going to, you're not going to have that money lying around. So you have to have that plan in place to, to know how you're going to get him. How do you do that? You have multiple plans in place, multiple planned trades in place weeks ahead of time. So that when you get that curveball and that player you were chasing does an ankle or that, you know, that rookie is suddenly injured and he's not going to be playing for the next four weeks, you know, you're flexible. You're not, you're not dancing. You're not flying by the, the seat of your pants trying to figure out what to do an hour before lockout because that's when you pick a player that you didn't want to start with. Spot on. I love it. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And you mentioned a few times break-evens. Um, obviously, that is just the number in which they need to score uh, for their price to fluctuate, whether they score above that and their price goes higher or they score below that and their price goes lower. Obviously, the higher the number, the less chance they are to make it and the more likely they are to drop in price if that number is incredibly high. For example, they scored 30 one week and then you know got injured the next week on one and then the number is 120. They're going to drop closer to 20, 30 grand as opposed to if their break-even is 60 and they score 58, they're going to drop two or 300. So... Um, it is something to definitely pay attention to. Uh, if you don't have access to the break-evens, which I think is only available via uh, the Supercoach Stats uh, subscription, which I, th- I think is the $20 per 12-month sign-up. Um, if you don't want to go through that, uh, on the page on our Facebook and Twitter, we'll be posting up each week uh, asking which break-evens you want to see and then replying to you in the comments section. So we'll try our best to help out with the break-evens. Uh, we'll, I think it's a little bit of a, a step too far to try and you know get them all on a on a page for you guys each week um but as far as the post goes just keep an eye on the page and we'll, we'll get that up most weeks so um we'll try and help out there but they are imperative as to when you want to trade out or look to trade in a premium so as you said uh patrick cripps might have a break even of 180 and even though i can afford him this week i might want to make another trade or save my trades for one more week to see him drop another 20 30k uh, so I'm getting him in at the optimal time. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots to consider with that. Um, I think another important thing to discuss with trades is injuries. So uh, you see a lot of people asking whether they should trade out X player because they're out for X amount of weeks. Um, I think you and I, Chizo, depending on, I suppose, I suppose it's kind of different because with GWS, you, 
you pretty much never want one of your GWS players injured because you have no idea when they're going to return. <laughs> two weeks is 10 for them, and it's just the most confusing thing ever. But for the rest of the competition, I think two weeks is... You're capable of holding a player through that so long as you've got rookie coverage on your bench, um, capable of scoring you know, around 60. You're not going to suffer too much, and those who do trade him out, especially if they're a top you know, four, five, six player in their position... Those who do trade him out will suffer in the long run, um, obviously, if there's still several rounds to go. So I think two weeks is really where we draw the line. If it becomes three or four weeks, um, that's when you look at, you know, is it a absolute, like, Jack McRae-level player who I've just traded in and they're averaging 130? You know, maybe I'll hold them for three or four weeks. But, you know, it, I think two weeks is the main timeline to sort of roll around. Yeah, no, to- totally agree with that one. And it's all team dependent. If you think you've got really good cover, say you bring on a, a rookie that actually scores quite well, you might actually find that you can hold them for three weeks. You know, you might be able to hold them for four weeks to, you know, because quite often we get some clarity on when a player is going to be back after they've had a few weeks of you know recovering from that injury. You might they might find, they might come back earlier than expected. There's um. I, I fail to think of who it was, but I made a trade. Oh, it was Fife. Yeah, I, I traded yeah. Fife last year thinking that he was going to be heavily affected because that was such a sickening concussion that I thought, you know, he's going to miss a week, obviously, and then he might miss two. And then when he comes back in week three, he's not going to score well because he's going to be suffering from concussion and, you know, just getting back up and running. I was completely wrong, completely wrong. But if I had just, you know, let that... Um, that rookie come on field just for a week or so just to, uh, you know, get a bit of bearing, see how he's recovering. By the end of the next round, we would have known that, you know, Fife was coming back and suddenly I haven't had to make that trade to try and get him back later on. So I've actually saved myself two trades uh, from doing so. So I, I like that two, two weeks is about the mark. You can stretch it a little bit further if you do have rookies that are scoring more than bugger all. Yep. Yeah, I think that summarizes it quite well. Um Besides that, the trade talk, I mean, there's not a whole lot else uh, to discuss, but I think the main point here is that trades are important. Um, they're the most important. And um, there is, I mean, there, there are 30 of them. You obviously can't purchase any with uh, leftover salary, which would be great, but they still do have a value despite the fact that they're, you know, un, unpurchasable through the game. Um, generally, I think uh, Pistol came out with this one. Um, to value the trades at approximately $150,000. So um, that sort of aids with your whether you want to start a rookie in your team. Are they going to make 150 k and be worth a trade, for example? Um, or if they could be worth the equivalent of around 100 to 120 points as well. So um, if, it's, if you're considering trading out a player... For one week, for a one-week injury, this is kind of where the two-week injury timeline thing comes across. Because if you're trading someone after a one-week injury, you might make you know that week you would replace them with a rookie. Maybe the rookie scores sixty, the replacement scores one hundred and twenty. You're going to lose sixty points for that week. But if the person comes back and evens them for the rest of the season, then that trade, if you had have done it to the person that you would have replaced them with, is worth sixty points because that's all you would have lost in that one week. So. Generally, they're worth a little bit more than that. They're worth a little bit more money than that as well. Um, so it it is a sort of way to justify a trade to yourself as well um, as to whether you're going to make that that much money or points in the immediate or, or long term. So um, a sort of way to look at it, that's a little bit more advanced than just the basic 
um, trade this guy for this guy if you want, or trade this guy because he's got a low break even. So it's, I suppose it's getting into a bit more advanced territory, but if you've got any more questions about that, I suppose message us on our Facebook and we'll, we'll chat more about it. This leaves us with our final point of the podcast. Uh, it's been a little bit of a long one, but I think important that we're discussing in such detail um, exactly how to make a team. I think, geez, I think if we if we go back on this and tell a relative of ours to play Supercoach for the first time, make their team, listen to the podcast, and make another team, I think we'd find a big difference, and that's what we're really going for with the podcast. So I hope it is helpful to those people just starting off or just trying to get their head around the correct mindset when making a Supercoach team. The final point that we need to talk about is probably, at this point of the season, not the most difficult. In 10 weeks' time, you'll be telling me it is the most difficult part for someone just learning Supercoach or just getting their head around Supercoach to really um, apprehend and and sort of navigate. So we're going to be discussing the buy rounds and um, the effects uh, specifically that they have on your starting team, we'll begin with, um, and... Uh, then what you what you should be doing in preparation for them in the weeks leading up. So um, we won't go into incredible detail because there'll be podcasts prior to and during the buy rounds that discuss this in depth because it is such an in depth topic. But um, to discuss how we how it affects our starting teams for starters, um, I think the first tip that I can give Chizo is that the the final buy in the season, so the very last buy round that any team will be participating in, is the hardest buy to trade premiums in for because by then you've either got a full premium team or you don't want to trade them in for that buy or you want to be full premium post-buy and you don't want to be using trades you know, after the buy rounds as you're maximizing your points. So I think that final buy round is... The, if you were to weight your team in any direction as to where, what your most popular buy round is, that final round is what you want to focus on. With the very first buy round being the easiest to trade players in for because you get three players per trade, you you know you make cash for that first buy round, don't trade in any premiums. The second buy round, you go bang, 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 three upgrades straight away, three players that played that first buy round. Then you've got them for the remaining two buy rounds. It helps your numbers. It helps everything. So... Um, I don't know if I've jumped ahead. You want? To, I don't know if you want to discuss the actual buy rounds themselves and the difficulties and the rules around it, Chizo. Am I being too advanced here? <laughs> I, I think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves in terms of advancement. As the podcast has gone on, we've kind of fallen back into uh, a lot of the... We're kind of talking to an audience that has an understanding, has played a few years of Supercoach. So if I can bring it back to the buy rounds just for a second, um, they're a period of time that every coach just likes to forget exists. As the season starts, we pick our side. Super coach and we're really happy. Alike, I think <laughs> we've got premium players of every line. We're super happy. Um, and then by the time round twelve comes around, this year the buyers are twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. We're suddenly in a state of shock because we've only got twelve players available. Okay. Yes, it is February but we still have to have an eye on the buyers this year, even though they are so far away. The reason being is that you don't want to set yourself up in a scenario where you have no one playing in any particular round. And I, I reference this specifically because, you know, we, we talk about this every year that the buyers are so important, you should be structuring from round one. And I thought to myself, why not in 2019... Forget the buyers existed. Pick the players I want and try and trade my way into the buyers, right? Mm-hmm. And how'd that and, go? 
it didn't work out because what I'm looking for, the, the rookies that I had to jump on, the players that got injured, I didn't have the luxury of straightening out my buys as the season went on. So if you can start the year with a well, an even spread of players across every line um, with an even amount of buys, that's not to say you have six, pe- six people missing in round 12, 13, and 14, but the six are all in separate lines. So you suddenly have no defenders, no forwards, and then no midfielders. You do want to evenly spread them for that reason, that you've only got a couple missing here and you can bring some rookies off the bench, right? Because you've only got two uh, in the forward and defense lines. You've got three in the midfield. So um, you do want an even spread and you have to definitely think about that before round one lockout. There's no way around it. You can't just go, I'll deal with that later because it bites in the butt. There's Speaking from experience, it's worth to put in the time to straighten it out. Now, the tip that you're kind of touching on there, JB, is to back-end your premiums if you were going to offset them in any way. Now, why is that important is because you don't want to be waiting until the start of round 15 to finalize your side. You want to come out of the buyers with your team done, okay? Mm. You want to have... The, the reason that if you have... Um, no round 14 premium players and you're looking to bring them in, you're not only waiting an extra round to have your team fully finished, um, but you're also a round behind everyone else that has been upgrading and usually that means you're losing points. So if you can be ready to go by the end of the buy rounds without having to bring in premiums for round 15, that's usually a good sign. So in terms of our premiums in that instance... Round 14, we see Adelaide, we see Gold Coast, we see GWS, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, and the Bulldogs. Now, that immediately brings springs to mind players like Zach Williams, players like Josh Kelly, players like Rory Laird, Bontempelli, uh, McRae, and Josh Dunkley. Now, you might think to yourself, um, I don't like Rory Laird in the back line. He's only going to average 100. There might be six other players that average more than him. And that, that's a fair point because he's a consistent uh, player, but we've seen, particularly last year, his ceiling wasn't quite there with the new introduction of the rules. But what it does mean is if you've got like um, Danger, Neil, all these guys that play earlier on in the buy rounds, by picking someone like Laird, it may not be your most optimum choice, but it allows you to set offset that premium a little bit um, so that those round 14 players are actually playing in the earlier buy rounds. I hate it when I turn up to round 12, I've got all these round 12 buy round players and they're all missing. You know, you're, you're falling behind as, as you begin, so you're looking to try and grab these players as they come off their buy. That would be the ideal scenario. Obviously, if you have a team full of premiums from round 14, it's very, very unlikely that's going to end well for you, so you do want an even spread. But if you're going to offset them in any way, I would back end it in that scenario. Does that make sense, JB? Yeah, no, I'm following. I think you're you're spot on right now. Okay. Well, I'll go one step further. Do you think the rookie buy rounds matter, JB? For trading in during the season? Yes. Well, if you if 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 yeah, if you're picking your your team at the start of the year, I tell you we've only got 15 rookies to pick from. Are you going to turn down a Matt Rowell because of his buy? Obviously not, no, because no. so most rookies you're not going to have by that stage. 
That's right. You're hopefully already trading them out. If you're picking them up in round 10, yes, you need to be conf- constant, um, cognizant of their buy round. But at the start of the year, the rookies, we don't care. Because A, we're hopefully trading them out by the time their, B, their buy round comes around. Uh, and B, we should be upgrading as the season goes on. So those rookies, even if they are on their team, they're getting closer and closer to being off field. So, you know, if you have a scenario where we we find all three of the uh, gun midfielders that the, the the Suns picked up last year are all, you know, playing round one and they've got great job security, you shouldn't say, I'm not going to pick this player because I've got, you know, three other Gold Coast players and they all have around 14 by. That's not the right approach. You should be saying, these are the guys that have the best job security. These are the guys that are going to make me the most money. By the time their buy round comes, they're not going to be there, so they don't matter. But for the premiums, yes, you should. Um, you know, we've talked about our guns are going to be there for 23 rounds, so you should assume when the buyers come up, they're in your side. I love it. You're a genius, Cheezo. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Why didn't Why didn't you do this last year then? <laughs> um, a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of laziness. Um, and a little bit of just kind of for the sake of it. I just wanted to see, you know, whether this was actually an important thing or whether I could do it, when in actuality I found that all it did was make it more difficult and I was playing catch-up. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, well, I think we've left a lot of advice in this podcast. Um, If anyone is interested in finding out more or maybe slightly more advanced tactics that I think... I think we've we've really touched on most things. There's only really a few a few little things that we I think would com- complicate too much in the podcast, but would be able to explain if you wanted to message in if you're interested. But this is a beginner's podcast to Supercoach. Um, starting, I mean, it's January. Sorry, it's February at the moment. Um, where most people are starting to make their teams, most people are trying to fill their leagues and get mates and and family members that haven't played the game before into those teams and I suppose you can direct them this way if you want a decent adversary otherwise maybe don't advise them with the podcast (laughs) you just want to smoke them but um yeah I I think this will be helpful to I think even look back on over over the years and think maybe maybe you know we need to reapply some of this stuff back to our games because it could definitely be lost even for players who you know play as advanced as what we do or for as many years as what we do. So I hope you're listening, Pierce. So I think this would be very helpful for you. <laughs> and, and obviously this is by no means comprehensive. We're not saying that you know these are all strict laws that you have to abide by and you know it, and let it like take the fun out of picking players you want. It's your team. Do what you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I can only give you you know advice on. Uh, what I think will help you have a more successful year. Um, but the reason that we ended up making this podcast was because of that feedback from you guys. You were saying, you know, I'm new to Supercoach. What do you think of this team? At, and we look at it and it's got all these players that just have absolutely no purpose being in someone's Supercoach side. It was almost like John O'Brown made the team. Um, <laughs> it, it just, you know, it has no knowledge of Supercoach and is picking players based on AFL potential. And, you know, as funny as it sounds they don't always overlap and so you know feedback from you guys helps us know what content we need to make if you want to see a part two you want to have a you know a more in-depth strategy maybe there's something that you know maybe we didn't explain to the point that you really really thought would help you nail that you know that concept 
let us know. Leave us a review on all the po- podcasting platforms. Um, you know, inbox the page because that's the only way we can give you the information that you need. Because what we're finding is we're telling the same thing to about fifteen different people in the same day. Uh, just because you know what we might think is basic and something that we picked up a few years ago might not be general knowledge. So that's why I always encourage just jump on, send, shoot us a message, leave us a review, something like that. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, whatever, because that's the only way that we're going to get the right information to the right people. And if I can just quickly summarize the podcast, uh, just in case you fell asleep during it or or you forgot what point one was, um, just to summarize, we spoke about defining roles of your players, um, guns and rookies' importance, and the mid-prices' importance as well, but make sure the players are defined in your side. They have a purpose. We spoke about avoiding bias, which is very difficult with social media these days. Even with pages such as our own, um, you find we you know talk about a player on the podcast or on the page. Everyone's got that player, which you know our advice is sound. So I mean, I, I guess you should definitely be doing that. But justify them for yourself, even if it's you know even if we it's spoken about on the podcast by us. Still justify that player to yourself so you can get them in your team and know why they're in there on your own accord. Uh, trade smart and plan ahead with your trading and also importantly plan for your buyers even from day one so i think that was the overall what we spoke about in a much longer format but i I hope everyone enjoyed it yeah i certainly enjoyed being on here with you jb why don't you tell the lovely listeners where they can find us during the week all right the only twitter that i'm going to plug is at cheese over the z underscore drsc He's not yet at a thousand followers. Everyone else is. I was wondering is. where you were going with that. <laughs> Everyone else is. We need to get this man to a thousand. Hashtag Cheezo to one k trending at the moment on Twitter. If you don't <laughs> follow the great man, then you're. I mean, you're just a bad person, really. Go follow him. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I kind of think by proxy because I have access to the Doctor Supercoach Twitter. I, th- I feel like I have seven k followers by proxy. No, not good enough. Uh, so I, I don't feel that bad. No, you should. Bad. <laughs> not not because of your own work, but because I the feel bad when you get the blue tick before that me. Slack that they haven't gone and pressed a simple follow on the golden voice of Supercoach. Disgusting. <laughs> I'm I'm appalled, quite frankly. But moving past the hat, make sure you leave us a review wherever you're listening. Send us your team uh, via Facebook, and make sure you check out the Patreon. It is cheaper than what you probably think it is, and it's well worth your time. Especially if I were to recommend any tier. And for business reasons, it shouldn't be the cheapest tier, but it is the cheapest tier, the Slack tier. So much value for money in that tier. So many discussions happening right now about Gorn, about all these POD players, and I think everyone's bashing the Phantom and, and his Hugh Greenwood selection. So jump in there and have a have a chat. I, I saw you bashing him on Twitter because we weren't getting an invite to State of Origin. I don't. I mean, he said that he'd reveal it in his next podcast, but I, I don't know. I haven't haven't caught up with it, or it hasn't been released yet. I don't know what he's doing, but if I were him, Chizo, I would definitely not invite us again. That was <laughs> embarrassing, that 2019. And not because they all perform poorly, but because we're just we're just on another level to you know pretty much anyone besides ourselves. <laughs> you're 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 definitely riding high on the back of last year. I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to quit while I'm ahead. I'm, I, if someone wants to I'm sub in for up. me, I I don't think I'm going to have a, as good a year as I had last year. I'm trying to get out of this mess. Absolutely, you will, Chizo, and you're going to do it on the back of a thousand Twitter followers as well. 
JB's the one that starts fires, everyone. You just you have to know that. I, I'm I'm here with a bucket of water trying to douse everything. And another <laughs> another one another one pops up on Twitter before I realise that that one's been pulled out. So metaphorical uh, fires. Let's just. I, I'm let's keen just for that. 2020. Uh, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and round one, so that's why I love being in Slack, JB, because you can talk it all out. Specifically, the talks have gone at the moment. Uh, I haven't haven't seen so many different opinions all in one space at the time, so uh, absolutely love it, mate. Hey, JB, thanks for being on the podcast with me. It's been great to hear your voice once again. Appreciate it, mate. And community, have a lovely week. We will talk to you soon.